You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Midtown Beats. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function— In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Indeed, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Uh, Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we we ask for your mercy. We ask, Father, that you would uh, open our eyes and open our ears, that you would uh, draw our attention to you so that we and continue to be a community of disciples seeking to glorify you. Pray for the person, persons who are just hanging on by a thread this morning. I pray that they would experience your grace, your renewal, your power. I pray that you would do only what you can do not by might, nor by power, but according to your spirit. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, 
Well, good morning. Uh, Today we are going to continue our series, Midtown Beats, The Values We Vibe To, uh, by looking at our final value, transformative relationships, transformative relationships. Now, as we start this morning, I just want to confess that this uh, topic and this uh, sermon was a very uh, challenging sermon for me to write. Um, And it was... uh, challenging so much so that I feel like I wrote four different sermons this week and uh, that I have a a lot on my mind, a lot I want to say. It's not all quite buttoned up, but I want to trust the Spirit uh, with it. As a church, when we talk about transformative values, we talk about how uh, we want to be an intentional community that is compelled by God's love. But what was difficult about this sermon And uh, what was more difficult about this value than any other value is just coming to grips with just the title of the value, uh, that to talk about transformative relationships and say that we are a church that believes in transformative relationships seemed um, like we could just overpromise as a church and underdeliver. Like transformative relationships, the more I thought about this value, the more I thought about how hard it is sometimes to belong, how hard it is to connect in a church, how hard relationships are. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are messy. And so to preach a sermon about how they transform us, honestly, it took about, it took a few days for me to wrap my mind around that. And to to be able to have confidence as uh, one of your pastors that this is a value and this is something we're going to fight for. Um, But then I began to get encouraged as I thought about the Bible and what the Bible has to say. And uh, one of the things that encouraged me is that uh, God, I believe, calls for us to be a community that is uh, transformed by Christ. And as a result of being disciples of Christ, it's used by him in each other's lives to bring transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But I began to think about how the Bible like doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. The Bible does the opposite. It just shares straight up, straight out the gate that relationships are hard and messy. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, the Bible's like, yo, relationships can take it out of you, right? And we are sinners. We are, are messed up and uh, we sin against others. Others sin against us and things are complicated. And then you go to the gospels and you see the most perfect person to ever live, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, but who was also fully human. And you think the most perfect man to ever live had perfect relationships. And then you realize quickly that Jesus struggled in relationships, not because of himself or his own sin, because he was sinless, but because those around him were complicated. So you look at the Gospels and you're like, man, the most perfect man who ever lived was betrayed by one of his closest friends, was denied by all of the disciples, even especially Peter. And then you go and you start reading Uh, about how his family relationships were complicated. The most perfect human being to ever walk the earth's family concluded that he was out of his mind, according to the Gospel of Mark. (laughs) 
And then you go to the epistles and you're like, this is going to get better in the epistles. And it doesn't really get better in the epistles. Every single one of Paul's letters, Paul is warning and encouraging uh, the disciples to be kind to each other. He's saying stuff like, don't bite and devour one another. And if you're a literalist, you're like, yeah, don't be cannibalistic. Just joking. And you're just thinking, man, relationships are hard. His most upbeat letter, the Apostle Paul writes, hey, I need y'all to agree in the Lord. <laughs> And so then I began to feel a little more at ease just realizing that the Bible is honest. Relationships are are difficult. But some of you here today, you're very withdrawn relationally. Um, You're barely holding on to maybe this church or a church, wherever you're at, uh, because relationships have really just just torn you to pieces. You feel like you, you can't trust. I mean, communication is difficult. We... As humans, we miscommunicate, we overcommunicate, we undercommunicate. We all have personal baggage that we bring into a relationship. We all have past experiences and and traumas and, and ways of relating. We all have different personalities. Some of us were like, man, I just want to give up. I want to do bare minimum to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to go home and live an isolated life. The question is, is that okay? Is that what God's design, is that his design for us as individuals? And if we've been hurt by people, is is the best response to simply try to isolate and and live a, a life apart from community and apart from the church? And I want to encourage you by letting you know that that is not God's design, even with our heart, our hurts and our pain, that God designs to and desires to, to heal us and to, to draw near to us so that we uh, don't isolate. See, the Bible teaches us that we were created for community. In the book of Genesis, before the fall, we read that God uh, said, listen, it is not good for man to be alone. So isolation and, and living alone, according to Proverbs, the Proverbs says a fool isolates himself. So isolation is not, is not the answer. I recently read an article uh, that uh, was written by the Surgeon General of the United States, and the, the tagline of the article says this, being socially disconnected can have health impacts akin to smoking 15 cigarettes per day, according to new report. And this is the opening line of the article. Opening line of the article says, Americans are facing an epidemic of loneliness, an underappreciated public health crisis that needs to be brought to light. And even before the COVID-19 pandemic, about half of adults in the country reported measurable levels of loneliness, which can affect mental, physical, and societal health. Isolating does not help you. In fact, this article shows that loneliness has the same physiological impacts on an individual as being a chain smoker and not taking care of your body. So isolation isn't the answer. But also we shouldn't give up because God makes a promise. And in the Psalms, he says this, God places the lonely in families. 
And when we think about the whole of the scriptures and especially the New Testament, we see that the way in which God places the lonely in families is is by saving them by grace through faith, by adopting them into his family, which is the church. So the way that God designed to, to help our ache of loneliness, even though on this side of heaven it won't completely go away, is by making us a part of the body of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this church and how we experience more and more transformative relationships amongst ourselves. And I want to show you just three foundations to the scriptures by looking at Romans 12. As the Apostle Paul was right in the church of Rome, and he's now turned from this deep, rich orthodoxy, deep, rich theological truths that are all about the good news of Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 7, he just explains the gospel of Jesus so beautifully. And I believe the rest of Romans is really him just uh, looking at uh, and fleshing out what is the gospel and the implications for our lives. And so in Romans chapter 12, he turns from this orthodoxy to orthopraxy, and he's saying, listen, Jews and Gentiles, this is how the Lord has called us to live together in healthy relationships as a church, as one. And then he gives us three movements. So how do we have transformative relationships? How do we have healthy relationships? Even for those who want to give up because you've been hurt, or those who want to give up because you know you've hurt others and you're filled with shame. Well, this is our big idea, and we're just going to break this sentence down for the next 25 minutes. The first is this, we submit to God. God is calling us to submit to God. Transformative relationships start with how we relate to God. And we relate to God by submitting to him. Second, we think sensibly about ourselves or oneself. So healthy relationships are formed and shaped and impacted by how we view ourselves. And third, we serve others with the love of Jesus. Transformative relationships, a person enters in with the mindset to serve others with the love of Jesus. Jesus says, listen, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. And the second is like it and all of your strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. All three of those are there. Transformative relationships. You submit to God. You think sensibly about yourself and you serve others as yourself. So let's look at this submit to God. Paul, Romans chapter 12 He starts off, therefore, brothers and sisters, writing to the church. This is I'm talking to those who are in this room, who are part of Sojourn Midtown. In view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I urge you to submit to God. Now, notice what he says. We submit to God because or out of the mercy that he has given us. Mercy comes before sacrifice. We submit to God because we know that God has been good to us. We submit to God because we know that God saved us, not we ourselves. We submit to God because he has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We submit to God because we know that we can, when we confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, that God saved us. 
We submit to God because we know that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Not things past, not things present, not angels, nor demons, not even death. We submit to God because we know that God is for us and that he loves us. And that even though we fall short of his glory, that in Christ Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, we don't live lives of condemnation. We submit to God because he is good. And he's good, good, because he is faithful, because he is true. And how we relate to God has everything to do with how we relate to others. If we are relating to God from a standpoint of sacrificing to win his affection and his love, obeying to be a part of him and his family, it's going to affect the way we live. But the gospel teaches us that we don't live for God's favor. We live from God's favor. We're already accepted in Christ. We have been declared righteous. We are justified. And he is sanctifying us. That changes the way we show up to God, but it also changes the way that we relate to one another. Because we're relating from a place of already being loved and already been accepted and already been been his rather than constantly fighting for the affections of others and acceptance of others. We're living out of his acceptance and then we can live as a living sacrifice. He says, I urge you to present your bodies, your whole selves as living sacrifices, as living sacrifices. Both pagans and uh, Jewish persons would have uh, resonated with this term because both pagans and uh, the Jewish people uh, understood animal sacrifice. But this is unique in that uh, we know an animal sacrifices his life and he dies. But this says, listen, no, you are a living sacrifice. You're not just sacrificing yourself to, to die once. No, you are dying daily. Isn't that what Jesus taught? If anyone is going to follow after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow after me. Jesus taught his disciples that life in him was a perpetual sacrifice. It was a picking up of one's cross. It was an intentional following of him. (laughs) One theologian said, listen, the problem with living sacrifices is that uh, living sacrifices get on and and off the altar uh, quite a bit, right? They avoid the altar, right? And the same is true for us. It's something that we have to do daily. A living sacrifice looks like Isaac, who follows his father Abraham to Moriah and who trusts his father so much that he takes his hands off of his own life and he is willing to be laid down on an altar because he trusts his father. I like it how one person put it. He said, listen, living as a living sacrifice simply is accepting the invitation to take your hands off of your own life. I just want to ask you, have you taken your hands off your own life? Submitting to God is, is stop as you, as us, as we're stop, we're trying to stop controlling everything and, and making things fit according to our agenda. And we are saying, Lord, my life belongs to you. 
Help me to to trust the process. Help me to trust you. And as Christians, we can end up, rather than living as a living sacrifice, we can end up having other people live as a sacrifice for us if we haven't taken our hands off our own life. And then we can baptize our life or our own desires in our life with this Christianese that make it seem like we're living for God when really we're living for ourselves while using God's name. And that's how we end up in relationships that are sideways and in a church that are abusive because it's really not about the Lord. It's about someone using the Lord to gain more for themselves. Adoniram Judson, who was a, a missionary to Burma, he was one of the first missionaries to, to leave the shores of the United States. And it's a, a beautiful, beautiful, hard story uh, that is told uh, in the book Across the Golden Shore about him. And Judson uh, goes across the shore with his wife to Burma. And when he gets there, his life just falls apart. He has loss after loss, loses multiple kids. He gets so angry at God and so depressed, he moves into the middle of a forest and he stops with his mission and he declares, I believe that God exists, but to me, he is the great unknown because nothing was going his way. And then finally, one day, Adoniram receives word that his brother, who was super lost, who was a like a pagan who he believed had no hope of ever coming to know Jesus. Someone finds him in a forest and says, your brother has come to faith. And God uses that to get him out of uh, this deep, dark depression because he's like, God, if you can save my brother, you can do anything. But what he realizes is this. God begins to minister to him and God begins to show him that the reason that he's in the state that he is in is because not because he was living for God's glory and he wanted the Burmanese to come to faith, but because he left the shores of America knowing that he would go down in history as one of the first missionaries and he wanted his name to be famous. And so God begins to do this, this pruning of him and showing him that this was never about me. This was about you. And you saw an opportunity to use me to make your own name great. Listen, it's about to get tight, but I believe it's right. (laughs) How we relate to God and how we try to force God into our agenda has everything to do with how we relate to each other. And I think the Lord's invitation to us as a church is what the psalmist prayed. The psalmist prayed this. He says, listen, Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way, in the everlasting way. I believe that many of us this morning, God's invitation is for us to pause and to ask the Lord to search me. Lord, search my motives. Search the intentions of my heart. Am I living as a living sacrifice to you or am I building my own agenda and hoping for you to bless it? Is my hands on my life and all over my life or have I surrendered it to you? Am I like Isaac going up to the Mount of Moriah saying, my life is your life. My will is your will. My desires will make them your desires. Or are we trying to, Push God into a, to a box. 
The psalmist says, do not be conf- uh, the, uh, Paul says, do not be conformed to, the, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And again, the key here is to meditate on God's mercy, to remember his kindness towards you, to remember that we all in Christ Jesus has already received more than we deserve. We deserve death and hell because of our sin, but God has saved us and given us life. And we live from there. And that leads us to our second point, which is to think sensibly about ourselves. So we relate to God by submitting to God, our hearts, our lives. But then we, as we submit to God, we have to ask God, Lord, cultivate in me a healthy view of myself. Verse three, and this is the Apostle Paul, for by the grace given to me. Now, what is the grace given to the Apostle Paul? Often when he uses this phrase, he's talking about his apostleship, that he became an apostle, even though he was least deserving of it because he was persecuting the church of God by grace. He says, by the grace of God, he's modeling humility, even though I am an apostle. Speaking on God's behalf, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. He's calling for the church to be humble. Not all of our relationship friction, not all of our relationship conflict is just simply us will go away by us being humble. But a lot of our relational friction will go away or at least Uh, subside some when we take on a posture of humility instead of a posture of, of pride and I deserve and I demand and it's about me. Not all, but some. Uh, Ted Lasso. I knew it. Always going to be laughs. You don't even have to say just Ted Lasso. Everybody laughs. If you're not familiar with it, it's a show on Apple TV. Um, it does have some language and in, uh, in sexuality. So uh, based upon uh, your strengths and conscious, you know, uh, watch at your own risk. But uh, in the show, Ted is a football player who a uh, football coach uh, who gets hired by a team in England. And he takes over this team um, as a soccer coach. He was a high school football coach. And it's really a joke. Uh, the person who, uh, who owns the team actually wants the team to fail in order to get back at her ex-husband, who uh, was the original owner of the team. So she hires this random guy who's a high school football coach. He comes over and, uh, and he takes over as coach. In the first press conference he has with the media, um, everybody's coming in like, who is Ted, La- Ted Lasso? They're looking at uh, who he is and looking at how uh, underqualified he is. And people just begin to ask questions about soccer and to make fun of him. And it becomes this moment where it's like, is he going to kind of puff himself up and try to prove himself? Um, is he going to walk out? Like, how is he going to respond? And his response was absolutely phenomenal. Ted pauses, acknowledges every critique that people are saying, and the ones that's true, he agrees with. You know what? You are right. In fact, I haven't had time to read the rule book yet. I don't know what offsides in soccer is, right? And people just keep going and they keep throwing out all of these rules. And he keeps acknowledging, you know what? I don't know this. I don't know this. But you know what? We'll figure it out. My team will help me. I'll read about it. I'll learn about it. And then there's this moment where he pauses and he says, I may not know much about soccer, but I know about leadership and I'm a good leader. And the whole show is about how Ted, rather than trying to live up to other people's expectations 
and to prove himself to them, he embraces his strengths and who he is. And listen, he remains human sized. Humility is the ability to remain human sized. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. Why? As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. What is he saying? The very faith that you have to live out the gifts that God has given you was given to you by God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, listen, if what you have has been given to you by God, then how can you boast when it's a gift from God? You did nothing to earn and nothing to deserve it. Everything that you have is a result of God's grace. Not only is the, the faith that you have a result of, of God's grace, but verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Your gifts are a result of God's grace. Remain human size. We have nothing to boast about. Your social economic status is a gift from God. He is the one who gives power and wisdom for you to have that. Your ability to, to think critically is a gift from God. Your humor is a gift from God. If it's a good, true, and beautiful humor, all right? Some of y'all are funny, but it's like, you know, it's like Dave Chappelle offensive level, right, in the church. You're like, nah, bro, you can't say that in community group, you know? Like, man, it's a gift from God. It's like, um, what was I talking about? Any gift that you have is from God, so you shouldn't boast. Shouldn't boast. When I was in high school, I remember uh, it was a company that came out. Some of y'all may remember this company. It was called FUBU. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Got to have a certain amount of melanin or watch BET growing up. It's called For Us By Us, all right? It was written by or made by three African-American uh, men. And the, the name of it was For Us By Us. And it was, uh, it was hip. It was cool. Everybody started rocking it. I remember I got my first one. It was a baby blue shirt, FUBU. I rocked that bad boy to school. I felt real good, right? I was in the in crowd for like a day. Um, and that's, that's, I like that for us, by us. And God is saying, listen, you were created by me and for me. And you were saved into my family for my glory, not for your own. We read in the uh, book of Colossians, Chapter 1, verse 29, for by the grace given to me, I'm sorry, that's not Colossians. 129 says, for all things were created uh, for, for God and from God. Here we go. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Look at that. All things have been created through him and for him. So we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And how does this look on the day to day? It looks like learning to count other people as more significant than yourselves. Later on, the Apostle Paul is going to say, hey, here's a practice to, 
to cultivate humility in your life and to think more sensible uh, about your life. And verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Wow. How do you cultivate a proper view of yourself? He says, it's by intentionally associating with people um, who are humble, with people who are not of impressive means. Last week, I woke up uh, one morning and just, you ever wake up and it's like, they say you wake up on the wrong side of bed, which I never really get because I always wake up on the same side of the bed. Um, but I guess I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I was just grumpy. Went and got a cup of coffee, just wasn't hit like, hitting like it should. Um, reading the Bible, it's just like, man, I got like this double vision from tiredness. And I'm asking myself, why are you up, right? Uh, and uh, reading the word, it just feels stale and uh, talking to the kids. I'm just coming off as a little sharp. And Amber begins to give me the, the wife overview of the day. And I'm just not feeling it either. And, and I just get in this mood where I'm just like, Why, did you do this? Did you do this? I don't want to do this. You know, and then the Holy Spirit just like convicted me. And I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me early morning, it's not about you. And rather than think about how you deserve this or you deserve this or you want this or they should be doing this. What does it look like to put on the clothes of a servant right now? And rather than barking at your kids to be sympathetic, understanding that a new school year started, a new grade, new teachers, new friends, a new atmosphere and setting an atmosphere in the home to bless them before they leave rather than bark at them. And what does it look like to see your wife right now? to help anticipate what her day may look like, to be curious about how her night of sleep went. To serve. Serving like that is a gift because it it brings life into others, but um, it, it also allows us to put on the cloak of Jesus as we see in Philippians chapter two, who did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to be held on to, but who put on the form of a servant and who went so far as to go to the cross, even unto death. When Jesus says, if anyone is going to follow after me, he must pick up his cross and follow me daily. He is telling us this is what it means to be a disciple of mine. This is what it means to be a Christian. The Son of Man did not come to serve, he told the disciples, to be served, but to serve. It is to daily ask the Lord and invite him into your heart, into your life to say, Lord, help me not to think of myself as more significant than others. Help me to put on a cloak of servant. Help me to wash people's feet. Help me to meet other people's needs, trusting that you will wash my feet and you will meet my needs. And some of us, we have a real problem with belonging. We feel like, man, the reason I don't belong is because of everyone else, everyone else, everyone else. What does it look like rather than expecting everyone else to make you to belong? You taking an active approach and looking for someone else who is having a hard time of belonging and reaching out to them. Caring for them. Serving them. Some of us, we deal with this maybe outright arrogance. Others of us, we deal with self-pity, which is still arrogance. It just cloaks itself 
in a different way because at the heart of self-pity is self. It's still an infatuation with self. And many times it comes out of a heart that says, I deserve, I'm not getting. So as a result, I'm going to waddle, give up on life and throw an internal pity party because I should have the best because I'm amazing. And we may not say that and we may not actually feel that. It may mask itself in insecurity. But for some of us, we don't press into community like the Apostle Paul is teaching and we don't have transformative relationships um, because we are not trusting that God shaped and formed us and gave us our various gifts to build up the body. The Apostle Paul says there is one body, but many parts and every single part of the body is important. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he tells the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the parts of the body that's not seen, that's not celebrated that we should show the most honor for. Why? Because they are our most reflecting Jesus who did not do things to be seen, but to serve for the glory of the Lord. And so pressing into those gifts that God has given you, administration, hospitality, creating a safe space for others is an important thing. And throwing a pity party and saying, that's not important, so I'm not going to contribute. I'm going to just take a step back and allow other people to serve doesn't contribute in a way that Christ has ordained for it to contribute. Finally, he says, not only should we submit to God, not only must we be sensible, have a sensible view of ourselves. Let me say this. The the key to both the one who is... uh, Self-promoting and the one who has self-pity is really the same. It's the gospel. The person who is self-promoting, the message to them is Christ had to die for you. So humble yourself. You are a sinner. Without Jesus' salvation, you are headed to, to, to hell. You have no hope. Christ had to die for you, just like he had to die for everyone else. And for the person who is waddling in self-pity, the message is Christ died for you. The son of God became human, put on human flesh, went up Golgotha's hill, traveled the Via Della Rosa, bled to death, allowed himself to be put in a tomb, rose from the dead because he loves you. You are valuable to him. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed you. He shaped you in your mother's womb. You are beloved. Get up. Lift your head up. Not too high where it's pointing to yourself, but so that you can see accurately that you matter. Christ died for you. Your life is not a mistake. Follow your father's lead up to Moriah, knowing that he in due time will provide, will make space for you. Finally, that brings us to our last point, which is to serve one another in love. Verse nine, Paul now is going to say, this is what this looks like. He's going to give over 20 commandments between verse nine and verse 21 or 21 statements. And he's really showing what does love look like in community? You want a transformative community. What does it actually look like? Okay. And he's just going to start firing off some stuff. 
In verses uh, 17 through 21, which we're not going to go into, he's going to show this supernatural act of serving uh, people who are not a part of the body of Christ, people who are persecuting you, right? And in essence, he's going to uh, sum up what Martin Luther King Jr. said. Uh, Darkness cannot uh, cast out uh, uh, light. Darkness cannot cast out darkness. Only light can do that, right? Hate cannot cast out hate. Only love can do that. And Martin Luther King's uh, phrase essentially was built off of what Jesus taught in a sermon on the Mount about loving one's enemy. And the way in which you reach one's enemy for God's glory is by loving them in a transformative, upside down way. Okay. But in verse 9 through 16, I'm just going to read these really quickly. He's going to say, this is what it looks like to have your mind renewed. This is what it looks like to not be conformed to the image of the world who's about power, self, um, and, and, and not about this, this communal way. Now, I'll, I'll say this. When I say that, understand, people who don't know Jesus, they can be merciful and they can love well, too. Um, so if you're not a, a Christian and you're here, uh, that's, that's not a, a, a put down, like, uh, there's common grace that some of the kindest people I know um, aren't walking with Jesus. But the difference is the motive. See, a Christian kindness, justice, love, the motive is not to gain approval or acceptance or any other motive other than to glorify God. <laughs> Let your light so shine and men may see your good works, but glorify your God in heaven. Verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy is the word that we see uh, in Greek theater uh, that had a picture of an actor wearing a mask. A church should be a place where people are not wearing masks. Let love be without play acting. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Christian community, rather than seeking to draw people out to be honored, is proactively honoring other people. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. This is important for how we relate to others. Uh, This is a picture of a, a, a boiling pot of water, right? It's fervent. It is boiling. It is hot in the church Uh, keeping a heart that is heart, that is warm towards God, it matters. It matters. It says, do not lack diligence. Do not be apathetic. Do not be lazy. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Serve with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Where hospitality literally means... Welcome the stranger. Welcome the outsider. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Y'all, this is counter-cultural. This is counter uh, our own, like, wirings. Like, read this slowly, and it's like, man, this feels supernatural. And it's because it is the only way, the only way to live this out in community 
The only way to have transformative community is to depend on Jesus. Jesus, who loved without hypocrisy. Jesus, who detested evil and who throughout his life clung to what is good. Jesus, who loved his disciples deeply, even though he knew that they would betray him. Jesus, who took the lead, even though he is the son of God and deserves all praise and honor, honored others. Jesus, who did not lack diligence and zeal, but who was fervent in the spirit, who remained fervent by making sure that he was living outside of his being and not just doing. Jesus, who was hospitable to the poor and the marginalized, to the persecuted, who when he was cursed, chose over and over to bless, even while being nailed to a cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, who rejoiced with those who rejoice and who weeps with those who weep. Listen, the reason why some of our relationships are stale and stink is because they are about us. And the reason they are about us is because we are not beholding Jesus, taking up our cross and following him, seeking the spirit and saying, Lord, make me like you and then obeying. When we're mistreated, rather than going rally for rally or tally for tally, we respond humbly and trusting our father, knowing that vengeance is his, he will repay. Rather than rejoicing with our friends and being happy for them when they are in a season of blessing because everyone goes through seasons, we withhold and we don't honor and we disappear. The only way for to transform the relationships is to look to the one who transforms us. And that's Jesus. And to be amazed at how beautiful he is and how hospitable he is and how much he loves us and rejoices over us, even when we fall short. So two quick applications. The first is simply to commit. Commit. Then God's invitation as we submit to God as we think sincerely about ourselves and we serve others in love as a church is to commit. When we look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves and then it lists what did they devote themselves to? To prayer, to the word, to eating together, to fellowshipping, to, to meeting the needs of others. There's no such thing as a long ranger Christian, as an isolated Christian, just like there's no such thing as a NBA player who's on his own team. Right? A Christian is saved into community and on a team. Commit to your local church. If you've been coming to Sojourn and you're not a member, become a member. Commit to the activities of the church that, that force you to be around others. And understand that others will fail you just like you will fail others. But if Jesus wasn't too good to be around others, even though they would fail him, you're not too good to be around others, even though you would fail him. Commit to, to that humility. Commit to, to allowing him to heal you over past grievances and past traumas and past mistreatments. Second is make space. Intentionally make space for others to belong. 
This requires us taking the focus off of ourselves. Too often we wait for others to check in, to invite us, to put together social gatherings. What does it look like for you to make a list of people you want to spend time with and you being hospitable, you opening your home, you opening the table, you creating space for people who may not naturally fit in? I think the Christian life has a a, a strange thing that that happens when you do this. The person who makes a, a safe space for others to belong uh, suddenly will find themselves feeling like they belong. That is the way forward into Christian life. Jesus says, hey, if you want a real life, you have to give yours away. If you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. If you want healthy, transformative relationships, man, you've got to look to Jesus and you've got to lose yourself. You've got to humble yourself. It's not always about the win. It's not always about being right. Some of y'all are, us are stuck in prisons. Prisons in our own mind, prisons in our own heart with just unforgiveness. We're holding people captive. And for some of us, it's not traumatic stuff. It's like petty stuff. Like God isn't even calling us to bless people who persecute us. Like for some of it, God is just calling us to forgive somebody for not calling us on on our birthday. If that's how you're relating to people who may not be that close to you, how how does that translate to a a roommate or to a spouse, to a sibling? And how is that contributing to a feeling of not being belonging and isolation and loneliness? And the answer is not white knuckling it, it's taking on the posture of of Isaac, really the greater Isaac, who is Jesus, who followed the Father's will, yes to death, but also to exaltation. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And those who are proud will be humbled. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.